If you want to know what is really happening in the world today, you need to read the Parsha HaShavua, the weekly Torah reading. Join Rabbi Mendel Lipska for the next hour as he delves and enumerates the themes running through the weekly Torah Parsha, only on 101.9 High FM. And a wonderful Erev Shabbos to all of you. Great to be with you. Great to spend some time, talk about the Parsha, talk about life, talk about how the Parsha can enhance our lives, how the Parsha can tell us how to understand that which takes place within our lives, that which takes place within the world, to try and understand how to apply the ancient but relevant truths of Torah into the everyday experiences of life. Torah, of course, is eternal, and that which is eternal is relevant yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It has the same application once upon a time today and forevermore. This is what eternal truth is all about. It's not limited to a specific time and place. It's not something which makes sense within certain circumstances. It makes sense in all circumstances. This is why Torah is read every single year. We review the same Parsha every single year. The entire Torah, we begin at Bereshus, we end with the Zot HaBracha. This is the incredible beauty, indeed the miracle of Torah, that it continues to grow, to develop, to teach us. And this is why each and every single time we come to a Parsha, we search for something which is relevant. We search for something which talks to us about the current situation in which we live. Not because Torah is limited to any specific situation. As I mentioned, it's eternal. It's because Torah talks to us about that which is everlasting. Torah talks to us about that which is true. And truth is something which exists at all levels, at all times, in all situations. How does the Parsha begin? What is this Parsha? The Parsha is Bullock. Bullock, of course, contains the incredible story of Bilaam trying to curse the Jewish people. Indeed, it's one of my most favorite parshiot. Why? Because we see the hand of God in its most miraculous sort of way. Despite the best intentions, the nastiest intentions of Bullock and Bilaam to try and curse the Jewish people, what happens? Out comes blessings. Blessings, the most incredible, majestic blessings. Some of them form the most beautiful prayers that we say on a daily basis. It speaks about Mashiach. It speaks about the great, great nobility of the Jewish people. These curses were going to destroy the people, or so they thought, these evil people, but instead transformed into majestic, powerful, incredible dimensions of beauty, of blessing, of greatness. That's why this Parsha is one of the most, well, exciting, joyous, and beautiful, something which I enjoy so incredibly. But how does it all begin? It begins with Bullock, the son of Tzipor. He himself is a Midianite, but nonetheless he was appointed as the king of Moab. And what happens? He sees the approach of the Jewish people. He sees the Jewish people marching forward. The Jewish people are on a great journey. The Jewish people are on their way to the promised land to cross the Jordan. The ultimate fulfillment to come into the promised land, that which God gave the Jewish people as a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he sees these people and he is fearful. And he talks to the people of Moab and Midian and he says, we have to do something in order to protect ourselves against this powerful enemy. 
Now, nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing at all could be further from the truth. The Moabites had nothing to fear from the Jewish people. In fact, as we read earlier on in the last week's Parsha, when the Jewish people approached the land of Moab and asked them permission, can we pass through your land? We will not in any way interfere. We just want to walk through on the king's road from one point to another. They said no, and the Jewish people walked away because God said, this land is not going to be given to you. The Moabites knew that the Jewish people were not going to take possession of the Moabite land. They were not going to get into a battle with the Moabites. The Moabites had nothing to fear of the Jewish people. And yet, Bullock, this terrible, evil person, somehow is able to drum up this incredible hatred toward the Jewish people. Now stop for a moment and consider its relevance to modern times. Because ultimately, what Bullock is doing is bringing about an atmosphere of intense anti-Semitism. And what's the root cause of anti-Semitism? There is no root cause for anti-Semitism. The Moabites have nothing to fear as far as the Jewish people are concerned. They aren't their enemy. They aren't their enemy. And yet, he is able to somehow, to somehow, bring about this tremendous state of warmongery among the Midianites and the Moabites against the Jewish people for no good reason whatsoever. These are the headlines of today. The causes of anti-Semitism? No good cause. Just simple, basic, ultimate hatred of the Jewish people for no good reason whatsoever. And this is something which is age-old. It's not something which happened today. It's not something which happened in the 50s or 60s or 100 years ago or 200 years ago. This is as old as the Jewish people. Anti-Semitism has no cause other than some sort of pathological hatred of the Jewish people for no reason whatsoever. Yes, they use this excuse, they're right-wing, they're left-wing, they're rich, they're poor, they're pushy, they are anything under the sun. No, there is no good reason. There is this hatred that Bullock has, and he is somehow able to stir up the people of Moab and to create a situation which will end badly. It will end in warfare, it will end in battle. It will end in a situation where the Moabites will suffer. The Moabites should have known better. They should have turned around to Bullock and said, what are you talking about? These people respect our decision. When we told them they cannot enter our land, they cannot pass through our land, they respected that decision. They didn't come into our land because they knew full well that God said our land is not theirs, and they were not going to take possession of our land. But somehow, Bullock was able to convince them, the Jewish people, the Israelites, were their enemy. And this is the great tragedy that has happened time and again throughout history, in our own history. How were the Nazis able to convince 
nation after nation throughout Europe, that the Jewish people were their enemy. And they convinced them all sorts of different ways. What happened? We know exactly what happened. Those European nations stood together with the German Nazis. Some of them acted even worse. This is what happens. When you create baseless anti-Semitism, it brings out the worst in people. And people begin to behave in violent, destructive, murderous ways. And it doesn't end well. It doesn't end well for anybody. As history has shown us time and again. Now, interestingly enough, Moab and Midian, who are now creating this tremendous allegiance, this bond, in order to protect themselves against the Jewish people, to go into battle against the Jewish people, they are enemies themselves. They hate each other. We have all sorts of indications throughout the Torah that Moab and Midian were at each other's throats for years, for generations. And yet, when they look at the Israelites, when it comes to the common hatred of the Jewish people, they suddenly become allies. They suddenly become friends. They suddenly be create a bond which enables them to go into battle against the Jewish people. Now again, the relevance. Don't we see that throughout history? Where nations who well, simply hated each other, countries who simply hated each other, and yet when it came to the hatred of the Jewish people, those enemies suddenly became friends and worked in partnership together to try and destroy the Jewish people. This is how this Parsha begins. And this is why it's a beautiful Parsha, because all of that is transformed. From this ugliness comes great beauty. From this terrible, terrible partnership comes the nobility and majesty of the Jewish people. More of that soon. This is the Pasha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. We're talking about the incredible stupidity, almost, of Bullock trying to attack the Jewish people and creating this atmosphere of anti-Semitic behavior and how it failed. But Bullock was not a stupid man. Even though he did something pretty ridiculous, he wasn't stupid. And he fully understood that you're not going to destroy the Jewish people by going into conventional battle with them. He knew that the Jewish people had a tremendous, tremendous protection. And that was protection of the Almighty himself. And the only way you can destroy the Jewish people was by using a spiritual power, a negative spiritual power. And to whom does he turn? He turns to Bilaam. Bilaam, who was the ultimate master of the dark arts, he was the individual who was able to curse. He was the individual that had, yes, the God-given strength to use spiritual powers in a negative way. And he sends the elders to Bilaam and he entices him by offering him huge fortunes to come and curse the Jewish people. But we know the story. Despite his evil intentions, despite his desire, because Bilaam 
as bad as Bullock was, Bilaam is a thousand times worse. He hates the Jews with a greater passion. But Bilaam knows full well that he cannot curse the Jewish people because his entire strength and power comes from God. Yes, those dark powers came from God. And despite his evil intentions, he cannot curse the Jewish people. And the words he wanted to use come out just the opposite. He blesses the Jewish people. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the three of the things that he says, which will give us an insight into how the Jewish people are viewed. What's the strength of the Jewish people? How he saw them from a negative perspective and how we can understand them from a positive perspective. How does he begin when he talks about the Jewish people? He says, I see them from the heights of the high mountains and from the high hills. They are a people who live on their own. And he ends off that particular little section. He says, I wish to die. May I die the death of the righteous and may my end be like them. Now, whatever he says is coded. It's not simple. Their commentaries say, what are these mountains and hills that he refers to? Those are the matriarchs and the patriarchs, the fathers and mothers of the Jewish people. The patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The matriarchs, Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel. What is he talking about? He wanted to curse the Jewish people, but no. He says, look at their origins. Look where they come from. These are not a people that simply emerged in the murkiness of some historical past. These are not people that somehow came out of the swamp or out of the jungles or out of some strange historical past. No. These are people of huge, huge legacy. They come from great nobility. The mothers, the fathers, the patriarchs and the matriarchs. They come from greatness. They are descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They have huge beginnings. They have noble beginnings. And what does he say? I wish my end will be like theirs. In this little paragraph, he speaks about the origin of the Jewish people and the end of the Jewish people. What is he talking about? What does he mean by that? What he's saying is the Jewish people are different. Not because they're isolated. They live on their own. No, they live among the nations. But they're very different than the nations of the world. Their way of life is different. Their behavior is different. Their commandments are different. But that's not really what's different about them. Other nations became powerful throughout history. But they came and they went one mighty empire after another, Roman, Spanish, Persians, Ottoman, great empires came and went. The Jewish people, doesn't matter what history throws at them. There are glorious moments, there are challenging moments. There are moments of, of, of great, great beauty. And there are moments of great pain and suffering. The Jewish people remain the same type of people. From the beginning, from Abraham onwards, 
until the very end of time, the Jewish people exist with the same identity, with the same nobility, the same strength, with the same passion, with the same commitment. They don't come and go. There were times they had a temple. There were times they didn't have a temple. There were times they had a land. There were times they didn't have a land. There were times that they were powerful and mighty in the eyes of the world. There were times they were downtrodden. But they always remained loyal and committed to who and what they are and where to this very day and beyond. What he's saying to Bolag Bilam is saying you cannot deal with these people. There is an eternity about them. No matter how powerful other great nations are, no matter how powerful those great nations are in terms of world dominion, they become, they fall eventually. They're lost. Not so the Jewish people. The Jewish people remain. Difficult moments, joyous moments. From beginning to end, they're always here. They're an eternal people. What else does he say in his second bit of blessing? He speaks about the Tovu of Halacha Yaakov, how beautiful are the tents and dwelling places of Jacob and Israel. And our commentaries talk to us about, he's speaking about the modesty of the Jewish people, how their doorways to the tents didn't face each other. There was a sense and there is a sense of modesty. He speaks about, and this becomes one of the great prayers, we say this on a daily basis. He speaks about, not only are they an eternal people, but they have a value system which is based upon a profound sense of modesty, of correctness, of morality. You know, we live in a world where everything is out there in the open, shameless. You know, you take whatever it is, social intercourse, social, well, media, social media. Everybody has a zillion friends. What you had for breakfast, what you're going to have for breakfast. Everybody in the world has to know. There is no such thing as privacy and modesty. And one wonders, is that a good thing? It's a terrible thing. Because modesty and privacy gives one a sense of dignity. And it creates a basis, a foundation of moral behavior, of correct behavior. Without modesty and privacy, there is no moral, ethical behavior. If everything is open, if everything is fine, if everything is good, if everything is permissible, then everything is permissible. He turns to Bullock and he says, you cannot destroy these people. There's a correctness about them. Of course, people make mistakes. Of course, there are those who unfortunately are weak and don't follow these basic rules and considerations. But essentially, look at their tents, look at their dwelling places, look at the sense of correctness in terms of their communities, in terms of how they live, in terms of where they live, in terms of their basic value system of understanding, of understanding the rights of each other. 
on the one hand, a tremendous, tremendous sense of community, of caring for each other, of being together, of understanding the tremendous importance of creating a social interaction, but at the same time, a deep respect of privacy, of understanding the right of privacy and modesty. And this is something which is so current, something which is so relevant. Because in our times, everything is just out there and open and public. And while, of course, so many people think that's wonderful, it's so destructive. It breaks down the basic dignity of the human condition. To wake up in the morning to see what 50 million people had for breakfast, and worse, no barriers, with words, with images, with pictures, with ideas. It's so sad. It's so destructive. And we mustn't forget, we can only imagine what Bilaam wanted to say, but these are the words that God puts into his mouth. These are the words that God is using to define the Jewish people. In his last set of, well, what he wanted to be curses, turned out to be blessings. What does he speak about? He speaks about Mashiach. He says, I see, not right now, but I see in the great and glorious future how there will be a shining star coming from from David, from Yehuda. And this will bring about great salvation. What did he talk about? The ultimate glorious purpose that, you know, life is not something which is random, begins and ends somewhere down the line, who knows where. The world just continues and continues and continues without a plan, without a purpose, without a great, great divine purpose. Mashiach, the glorious end of Mashiach, that's when God created the world. It's not to run with all these terrible mistakes and terrible activities and no accountability and no answer. There will be accountability. There will be an answer. There will be a moment of purpose and the righteous will be rewarded. Again, he says to Bilaam, don't you understand? You cannot destroy such a people. Because there is infinite, eternal purpose to their being, a beginning, an end, and a moral life in between. More of that soon. This is the Pasha Hashavua with Rabbi Mendel Lipska, only on 101.9 High FM. So we're talking about this whole idea of what Bilaam sees the Jewish people from the intensity of his plan comes the intensity of the blessing, the ultimate purpose of the Jewish people, from its origins of the patriarchs to the ultimate purpose of Mashiach, to the morality, to the modesty, to the essential beauty of the Jewish life. This is what he portrays. And this is something that we have to take to heart. Who are we? Where do we come from? Where are we going? And we always have to remember that we have 
an origin. We come from somewhere noble. We began as a great people. We continue as a great people. And there will be a great moment when all of this will come to a glorious, purposeful end. You know, we often look at the world and we think to ourselves, all these challenges, the wars, the pandemics, the hatred, what's the purpose of it, all the suffering? What's it really all about? And people despair, people become depressed, people begin to think to themselves, what is this really all about? And they can make no sense of it. Even Bilam, even Bilam saw and understood that he sees, but not right now. Then, in our time, it's very soon. Mashiach will come. When all of that will be explained, when all of that will be understood, when all of that will be shown to us, when we will see why, in fact, all of the history that we've gone through has purpose and meaning and good purpose and blessed purpose. This is why, interestingly enough, this Parsha is always in close proximity to the period known as the three weeks. In actual fact, this Shabbos is the 17th of Tammuz. The 17th of Tammuz, of course, is the beginning of the three weeks, Shiva Sabbat Tammuz. But this year, 17th of Thomas is on Shabbos, so we don't fast. The fast is pushed off till Sunday. And it's interesting when our sages tell us that something negative that is pushed off, may it be pushed off forever. That even though we're going to fast on Sunday, unless Mashiach comes before, we're going to fast on Sunday. But the fast doesn't have the intensity as it would in a normal year because it is it has been pushed up. The three weeks is a time that we commemorate destruction of the temple, exile of the people. A tragic period in Jewish history. A period where, unfortunately, we had to go through the incredible challenge of destruction and exile. A difficult time, painful time. As a nation, as individuals, we had to face up to the reality of loss, to the reality of intense physical and spiritual pain. And we asked the questions, why? Why was it necessary? And while, of course, we can give a simple answer because we behave badly and that's why we're punished, but it's not enough of an answer. And ultimately, our sages tell us that contained within these difficult days are the ultimate blessing. And even though we can't see it yet, we ultimately will be shown the blessing that is contained within these dark days, within these days of challenge, within the three weeks. And we are told that ultimately we will see the intensity of huge blessing that is contained within these dark, the ultimate blessing. That's one of the great things that Mashiach will reveal to us. And this is why this year, Shiva Asar B'tamus is a nitcha, which is in itself a powerful indication of blessing. The fast itself doesn't have the intensity as it normally does. It's pushed off. And once it's pushed off, we say, may the negativity be pushed off forever. May it be transformed into a day of joy and blessing. This is something which is very 
unique to us, part and parcel of our faith. The ability to recognize and to know the challenge is something which ultimately contains within it, sometimes deep within it, the potential of great, great blessing. The light that is contained deep within the darkness, a light that is far greater than the obvious light, than the revealed light. Yes, come Sunday starts the three weeks with all sorts of restrictions. Sunday itself is a fast day from early morning until nighttime. Three weeks is a time that, as I said, restrictions in terms of what we can and cannot do intensified the last nine days, culminating on Tisha B'Av. But at the same time, those are the obvious manifestations of the three weeks. But hidden within are opportunities of great blessing, and this is what we have to work for. We have to go through the laws, purpose of the three weeks, but we have to pray for and yearn for and believe in the ultimate purpose, the coming of Mashiach, who will reveal the great blessing that is contained within. When you're in shul tomorrow, take extra time and listen to the blessings that Bilam gives us. Try to imagine what he actually wanted to say. From these majestic, magnificent, powerful blessings, one can only imagine the negative, ugly things that he actually wanted to say. But they were transformed into words of beauty, words of inspiration, words that are uplifting. Each one of the sections, I mean the farce, he tried. He made altars, brought sacrifices, did this, that, and the other. Nothing worked. And he himself admitted. He turns to Bullock and he says, I can do nothing other than fulfill the will of God. Whatever words God will put into my mouth, that's what I'm going to say. We can take a lesson of faith from something like that. We can understand the great hand of God that guides and directs the destiny of humankind and the individual person as well. This is why this is a great Shabbos. Look at the words, listen to the words. If you have a Chumash, study the words. It's a fascinating parsha. It's a magnificent parsha. Each sentence builds upon the other. Each sentence tells us great and wonderful stories and secrets worthwhile listening to, worthwhile studying the chalice.